Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of AMRAs and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of blockbuster video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom and pop video store killer, the corporate big choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars who are in the know arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Talkbuster podcast. As always, this is Chris Chipman, aka the Chippa. Um, a little bit of housekeeping, as I always do, before we get into the meat of the show. Um, I'd like to do a patron thank you for my fifteen dollar or more patrons: Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman. Hi, mom. Hugh K. Campbell Jr. and Alex Peregrine. And also thank my newest patron, Dalton Pownell, for the support. Um, and also like to let you guys know that tonight's show is brought to you by Engaged Family Gaming and their slew of podcasts and content and other shows. And my guest tonight is actually the uh, showrunner of the Engaged Family Gaming brand of shows, um, Stephen. And uh, it's Dutzman, Deutzman. You got it's Dutzman. You got it right the first time. I always, I always names, man. Names are always the thing that I bought. Names the are most. the worst part of this job. I've had this guy Karu Nagisa on my show like three times and and I had his wife on and he is the coolest guy and I botched his name all three times. <laughs> Both times recording with him and recording with his wife. <laughs> That's brutal. Um, I think the, the trick is, because I'm bad with names too, the trick is you just gotta go. You right. can't second guess it. You just gotta go, and they'll correct you. Because you know, people like us with complicated—I mean, you don't know because you don't have a complicated name. Um, but those of us with complicated names, we're used to it. We'll just correct you, and then exactly. and then no harm, no foul. It just feels unprofessional to me when I screw it up. Well, <laughs> I mean, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 podcasting. We're not doing the nightly news, so I think it's okay. Of course. So, um, dude, that was your that was your chance. Introduce yourself back to the world for uh, I think the second time um you've been on one of my shows and the first sure. time on Talkbuster. And so, yeah, and I totally blew it because I was too busy talking about my last name. So, um, my name is as you said, Stephen Dutzman. I'm the founder of EngagedFamilyGaming.com, and I am the showrunner of the uh, I, what we're calling it uh, is the Engaged Family Gaming Podcast Platform, which is going to be growing significantly in the coming months we have our primary show which is the show that you have been on um and i have the efg daily commute which is very similar to uh chippa in the third person only 
Uh, I don't do video because nobody needs to see me um, in my car on the way to work in the morning because it's I'm a mess. Um, but then we're <laughs> expanding to a bunch of new shows. Um, you know, one about Magic the Gathering and another one that's only about reviews. We actually where it's me and a kid. So it's kind of like kids say the darndest things, the video game review edition, uh, which, is gonna awesome. be kinda, uh, which is going to be kind of wild. Um, and the um, and a whole bunch of other stuff that are probably not permanent shows, um, but will be, you know, we'll, we'll be kind of doing them until the project is over and using them to make video content and stuff like that. I really like talking into a microphone. And if you hear my dog um, squeaking at me, I have a chihuahua who is deciding that he needs to be fed for the fifth time today. Oh, I assure good. everyone listening, I fed him much, much his body weight in food earlier today, so I'm, I think he'll be fine. Um, but yeah, it's been uh, we've been doing this for seven years now, oh my and God. I found out that I really like talking into a microphone. Um, and, uh, so I decided that I'm probably just going to do it a lot more often. That's, that's what keeps happening to me. But by the time this airs, I will have officially announced, but you've probably seen me, um, uh, peppering it throughout the Twitter verse in my Patreon. But I, uh, I came up with a, um, a version of hot ones. You know, that show, the chicken yep. wing, um, except it's with beer. So it's hopped ones. Oh, and I'm going to do I'm, I did see that. I did see that on Twitter. Yeah, so I'm going to do interviews and by the time this this releases cuz I'm recording two next week, it will have probably aired, but it'll air on the Patreon only to see if people like it and also just in case Sean Evans decides to try to take my show down cuz it's too similar to his. But um I had come up with the idea and like pitched it to some friends and they thought it was great and it all started with me getting this cider, the uh, ectoplasm, which is the bell pepper jalapeno um kiwi cider from far from the tree in salem and uh i thought wouldn't it be fun to have a show where instead of like the hot sauces being the talking point to keep the interview running it's just weird ass beers i mean i think it sounds great i it, I, I don't drink myself yep but I, we've talked about I, that before yeah but um i can imagine that some guests will be all in on that i think there's there is a a very large audience for that pro- for that particular kind of product so and i I'm, can't wait and i don't i don't pretend to be a uh, um an expert in anything so doing a podcast about beer where there's already thousands upon thousands of those and hipsters that spend way more time going into it than me i figured it'd be fun to just get weird stuff i've never tried and try to you know weird out the person you know yeah <laughs> which i don't know how i'll quite do it in this format you'll figure you know? it out but it'll be cool but anyway you'll figure um, it out so yeah so so this is the talkbuster podcast and you were a former uh, blockbuster employee so um before we get into our little icebreaker game which i don't know if you've listened to a show where i've played it yet but it's been part of the more recent podcasts, the uh, right quote wrong movie. And this is your board game. More this is or my less. my card game, yeah. And I am going to kickstart this thing. I've gotten, I had uh, Jason Anarchy, who makes Drinking Quest, among other things, um, who I met at PAX East. I've had him on, on my other show, and um, he's been kind of good for feedback and bouncing ideas off of. So that's been great. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I was going to say, before we get into that game, give me a little quick thing. Why? Why blockbuster? How'd you end up there? Um, and so, you know, 
Yeah, just I'll help. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. Um, I still know my number. Your um, employee number, or your store code. This both. Nice. Um, and part of that is um because I actually for whatever reason had my blockbuster card. We have like a safe in our house where we put like not only important papers, but we put like gift cards and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Just so that it's an easy place to put everything in one place. And um, for whatever reason, my Blockbuster card was in there. And I was looking at it just the other week. Um, I think it ended up getting thrown out, which is really stupid considering how cool it would have been to take a picture of it with us doing this podcast. But Oh, yeah. um, So um, I... I was there for a long time. Um, I ended up there randomly. Um, it was the Bristol, Connecticut store, which was, from what they said, one of the highest volume blockbusters in New England. I've heard it was, that. It was massive. Um, and I started there because, and this is as simple as it is, uh, I walked in because it was the biggest video store around, and there was a girl that I uh, – it. I mean, high school was over. I was in college. There was a girl that I went to high school with that was there, um, and uh, she was hot. <laughs> and I and I was talking to her, and she was like, "Yeah, we're hiring. You should apply." And I applied, and I somehow convinced them that I could do the job, and I did. And I ended up being there for like, I think, four years. I started as wow. a CSR, and then eventually I was um, one of the assistant managers. And then eventually I quit to go get like a real job, um, quote unquote real job. But man, they were, I mean, it, it was wild. I mean, I was there when episode one oh, was man. released with like the Yoda tape. Yep. And um, I was there for the big switch over to DVDs. Um, and my, so my favorite memory was that I was the, for whatever reason, I was the only person on staff that wanted to watch episode one. <laughs> and so, you know how, like, they gave you the boxes and they were like, you can only have, like, one copy of this tape. Um, and I took it home and I watched it and, like, nobody else really wanted to. And it was, I thought, I just imagined that it was going to be, like, this big fight over who got to watch that movie early. And it turned out that I was the only one. And I, wow. I, I, I was kind of deflated. Um, and part of that's because the internet didn't exist super well back then. So, like, I didn't know that the world had that the world hated it. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. Um, I mean, I really don't remember it. And, like, I, I, I didn't remember all of it until I watched all the Star Wars movies again. And we've talked about this part that I didn't watch the Star Wars movies really and try and pay attention to them until three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was there for the Yoda tape. I was there when the PS2 came out. Yeah. My ver- um, when they were renting out the consoles. And I remember the day that like our district manager came in and, um, you know, just grabbed the keys and was like, we're selling all but two of these who wants them. And he's like, I'm buying one for my kid. And I remember I was coming into work that day as he was pulling them off the rack and I was like, I grabbed one of those briefcases and I was like, I'm buying one of these and I don't care what anybody says. Um, and I brought it home and my mom was like, what? Cause it, you know, it came in like this freaking briefcase. Mm-hmm. And when you bought it, you took the briefcase home. Cause it was like part of the thing. What were they going to do with it? Um, and so I brought home the briefcase and I'm pretty sure my mom thought there was a body in it. <laughs> like, and I was like, mom, it's a, it's a video game. Like it's video games. And my parents, 
you've heard the story, you know, that them being very supportive of my video game habit, quote unquote. Um, when I brought home a, P- a PS2, um, they were just like, I guess you needed another one of those. But it was the first one that I ever bought with my own money. Yep. Um, and I obviously I got it at a ridiculous discount because it was used and they were just try they were pricing them to move. I mean, you remember, and I'm sure in your store it was a mad rush to see who got to take however many. Oh, home. yeah. You, you and I were there at the exact same time because I started shortly after episode one came out because okay. I remember it might have been six months later because episode one what, was theaters in 99 video late 2000. Yeah, just was about that. Yeah. It? Yeah, I yeah think so, so so I started in 2001, and I remember doing up um, Darth Maul face paint for my brother when he because the company would not let you wear masks. So he said, "Well, if I paint my face, they can't have me take it off." <laughs> I mean, you're not he's not wrong. He's a clever <laughs> I, fellow. He's a clever I, fellow. I thought that was great. So he dressed up like Darth Maul for the release of that, and you know if, that movie does get a lot of crap, but I have a special place in my heart for it. You know, I. That was one of the first times that, you know, in, in my lifetime that there was something huge like that, that I went out for myself, Yeah, you know, with my, with, it was just me and my brother, you know, it wasn't like, you know, like I, I remember another big movie release was like Aladdin. Aladdin was huge, but yeah. I was, I was eight years old. Yeah, you're you know kid. what I mean? I and our. And I remember my parents taking us like Aladdin and the Lion King were huge. And we, you know, went the first Saturday they opened and, you know, my parents couldn't believe that they had to wait till four in the afternoon, even though we got there right when they opened because all the show times were sold out. And so episode one, you know, Bob and I went to the first show of the day and waited in line. It was wrapped around the theater. And, you know, that mythos hasn't left that movie for me. You know, it's not a great movie, but I still like it. Yeah. But um, no, the PS2 thing is a funny one because I remember I didn't end up getting um, – well, I didn't need to get one of the ones for sale because my brother – so Sun, he worked at Suncoast Video okay. after working at Blockbuster. And Suncoast randomly got PS2s in for sale even okay. though they didn't really sell hardware. Sure. And so he well, they called were, me – Because they were Blu-ray players. Yeah. He called me up and he goes, dude, dude, we got like – a random box and had a PS2 in it, and I, and I bought that with my own money, and that felt great. But we, when we started selling off the PS2s, the company left it so there were only two in the store, and it always annoyed people because we always only claimed we had one to rent because we had the other one set up in the back room, and we all used to go in on break and play it. <laughs> I mean, okay, our manager did not let us do that. Uh, Amberly was not interested in any of those shenanigans, um, but. The um the other thing I and I'm now that we're thinking about these briefcases the other thing I actually bought one of the I bought the last Game Boy Color oh man do you remember Blockbuster rented those out yeah in um, advance too um yeah they I, I didn't get a hold of that um because that got scooped up but the the Game Boy Color there was one last one that was just kind of kicking around and I think it was kind of just forgotten by the inventory system. You know how like sometimes things would be like, why has this not gotten dropped to used or, you know, just sent back or something. And it just kind of hung out. And eventually it, it we got the order to take it down. And I was like, no, that is going to my house. Um, and I remember it and loved it because it was a bright pink Game yep. Boy color. Like it was the most obnoxious, garish pink. And I was like, you know what? 
whatever, dude. It's Game Boy Color, and I it came with uh, I we um conveniently there was a broken Pokemon uh, Gold. I don't know how that happened. It just it was broken inexplicably. Um, and you I swear. was able to bring that home. I swear it was broken. Um, and so I and so that I mean that was like my first real Pokemon game. So. It's weird that, like, a lot of folks, we think about Blockbuster, and obviously you think of movies, but for me, it was, like, such a huge part of my gaming history, um, and, you know, I, even to this day, I'm not much of a movie guy, um, I enjoy them, but, like, I still look back at my, that Blockbuster time as being, you know, it everything I know about movies, I know from then, but also, it really was important for me as far as like my video game development i guess it's the wrong word but you know what i'm saying well yeah you get to play everything i mean we, we got the same deal with the games you did with the movies right yep so it, you know i remember when metal gear solid 2 was released and we got something like 200 copies of that to rent it was yep. asinine and um uh, we all, the whole store, like all like whatever, 20 or 25 employees or whatever it was, all rented a copy like mm -hmm. before it came out and we're, you know, playing through it together and like talking about it when we came on shift. And that was just such an insane time. And, you know, it was funny. I was talking to Sandy Harding at the Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, and she said that that's unfortunately the thing that they've had to drop. Is um, the games? Is the games. She said they don't they didn't stop renting games. She said they just stopped getting new ones. She said because while Blockbuster, you know, succeeded in the movies because they were owned by Viacom and Paramount and they had deals with all the film companies so they could get two hundred copies of a movie at a discount, whereas the mum and pop store still has to pay the hundred and twenty buck, you know, overhead charge and then pay it off with the rentals, right? That's how it worked. The games, no matter what, you paid face value. There was no deal coming in with the games so she said you know now you know you can't really be dropping 60 70 bucks a pop to put a game on the shelf that might not rent yeah you know and it's like oh that's that's a because she has to buy everything out of pocket you know there's no like distribution center yeah. you know anymore so she has to like go to the best buys and the walmarts and get deals like you know okay if i you know can you put 10 aside of you know um bumblebee and i'll come and pick them up <laughs> You know, and I think that's crazy, right? Because she's still doing, you know, like she said, 90 to 120 copies of a new movie and they're out. Out on a Friday night, just gone. <laughs> like, yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, so it's good that you want to talk about the games because um, I don't get too many people on that want to focus on anything but the movies. So well, let, let's run down the list. You know, you were talking about Game Boy Color. Did you guys have a Pokemon Snap Machine still when you started there? We did. They I was had... there. I was there when they. Um, I, I was there when they put it in. Nice. Um, and the well, okay. So, I I was there when they put it in as a customer, um, and it just hung around for a long time. Because um, I mean, that's one of the things about working at Blockbuster, right? Like, they're fi they at that time, late nineties, early aughts, they were like fixtures of your community. So like. I would go in there. My mom's notoriously indecisive. So she would be in there looking for movies. Half the time she picked a movie she already watched. Right, of and, course. Um, which is not an uncommon problem. Um, 
And my brother and I would argue, you know, we were obviously there to pick a game and we knew what we wanted within minutes, right? We were like, oh, this is, so we just sat around like hanging out. Um, So I remember the Pokemon Snap Machine um, and I remember it still being there when I showed up to start working there. And man, under the the nightmare that it was... (laughs) I could only imagine um, how crazy it was when it was at its peak and kids were coming in there and trying to mess with it and parents not understanding Pokemon in general. Um, no, wait, maybe I'm getting my timing wrong. Because it turned into Stadium. Like, they 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 went and... Remember, because Nintendo and Blockbuster weren't willing to give the machine up. So yeah. like, they swapped it over to the Pokemon Stadium machine. Yeah. I remember that. I think I'm getting some of my times messed up. Um, it's because, okay. Well, because it was a long time ago and I'm old and stupid. But um, so the so I actually was there as an employee when Pokemon Snap came out. Because when Pokemon started and was like a big deal, you know, when we ha- when you had the cart with the merch, yeah, it just oh, yeah. got shredded every day. Um, smelled like maple syrup. Oh man, I don't. I, yeah, it was a mess. Um, I was um, designated as the guy to explain Pokemon to parents, <laughs> and so like the rest quick, of the store, quick, bring in the weirdo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they had me. They did the same thing with like Digimon and like you know all that stuff, and um. So, yeah, no, I was definitely there for all the Pokemon stuff. And I remember that that Pokemon Snap thing was a nightmare logistically, and nobody knew how to work it. I didn't. And it would break all the time. It was such a cool idea, and I absolutely played the crap out of Pokemon Snap. Um, But I remember vividly, you know, like parents coming in and being like, hey, what's this Pokemon thing all all about? And our store manager would be like, get Steve. And then I would come over and I would explain it to these like gloss, glossy eyed like parents who were just like, oh, so it's okay. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're cute little pocket monsters. And, you know, whatever, you know, like Pikachu's a lightning rat. It's fine. And they're like, okay, fine. And so they would just buy stuff. Um, The one regret that I have is that I did not buy out all of their Pokemon card theme decks. Right. Um, because buying, I should have known, um, and I wish I had just spent a little bit of my paycheck every week and just bought Gen 1 Pokemon merch, specifically the cards, and just not opened them and just put them away because they would be, uh, I mean, I'm sure that they wouldn't be mega valuable now, but they certainly would be. Like, sealed theme decks, like Fossil and all that stuff, would probably have some value now. Of course, um, and it's just a super cool thing to have. Like, stuff, Also, it would be awesome. My kids would be... Stuff doesn't I'm, last. Like, how, yeah. many, how, many, how many people... I mean, you think generations back, but our, our generation, and, and then our kids' generation, right? You know, stuff doesn't last more than two or three years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, so for there to be something that you played... And still play that you can share with your kids. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, Magic the Gathering and other stuff like that. They're, it's amazing that these things are having this longevity now mm-hmm. that it didn't seem like they were going to. 
Really, yeah. Pokemon was a huge deal, but you know, you roll your eyes and go, "Okay, yeah, that's huge in Japan." The last in the U.S. for a few years. I was convinced, man. I listen. If you, if my, if my career was based on what I thought was going to be big and what wasn't, I never thought. I mean, I knew Pokemon was cool. I didn't know if it was. I didn't know it was like make a movie with Ryan Reynolds cool. You know, like, well, right. Like the fact that Pokemon is still going strong in the Twitch generation blows my mind. And the fact that it's arguably never been stronger. Yeah. It's picking up speed. And that's the thing that really with Pokemon specifically. And it just, I never would have guessed it. Um, Well, because when I was working at Blockbuster, you know, the, the, the time of like the Pokemon films, you know, mm-hmm. getting a big like U.S. push. You know, that was old hat at that point. It's like that, mm-hmm. that they were in the favorite section. Kids were coming in and renting them, but there was no big release on the wall. You know, or no big thing other than what already existed. So for me to think that God, in two thousand one, I'd be talking. You know, seventeen years later, eighteen years later, and Pokemon just had a movie, <laughs> like yeah. a big a big screen movie that made a lot of money and people loved it. And it was yeah. great. Like I, I you know knew of it, but I've never been you know into Pokemon until now. And now I have everything. Like I have Pokemon Go on my phone. I've got the the Switch game. I'm gonna be buying the freaking Sword and Shield game because they look incredible. And like yeah, I'm dig. It just like and I'm like sitting there and I'm going. I wish I had been into this when I was like. And I won't call it the right age, but the time when I had time. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I mean, and you know what? I think it's the right age. Um, you know, like this is one of those things where now I want I so desperately because I have kids, you know, I've got my, I've got my kids and I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old and a six year old. And I mean, you've seen the pictures of my six year old. Yep. She, you know, um, she loves her some Pikachu. I mean, I have a Pikachu tail on my desk. Yeah. Like, I'm not even um, from her Halloween costume last year. Um, so my cool. wife made this which is pretty impressive. Um, and uh, she even rigged up fishing wire so it would swing out yep. and not fall down. Um, my wife is way smarter than I am. So the, yeah, it's just so crazy. And I, I and I have to, like, and this is going to sound stupid, but I really, I think it's presence in retail. Like, I mean, we were there for that push. You know, we, when we, now it's legendary, right? That whole, three-pronged assault with the card game and the merch and the video game and the cartoon all at the same time like we were on the the the, right on the front lines of that war being waged and it worked yeah it was so brilliant and it's incredible you know when you think about the people involved and it's like for as for as many times as nintendo looks like that they're just behind the times Mm -hmm. they were spot on on that damn thing Yep. Like <laughs> they they were they picked the they picked the right horse uh to bet they bet on the right horse and Pokemon Company, oh man, just so smart. They brought it over, it hit just at the right time. The games were just good enough. I mean, let's be real. The the Game Boy games were not like immaculate games, right? Like no. they weren't, but they were just good enough. You know, they were great, not perfect. And they were just great enough to grab the attention of kids and give them that kind of power fantasy of being a Pokemon trainer and like catching them all and, you know, kind of really perfecting what the Game Boy was for. 
that, man, I, it's, it's so crazy just to think about it. And now my kids, today they were arguing about who's going to get sword and who's going to get shield because <laughs> they were trying to figure out who was going to get the first Sir Fetched. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, guys, you know, like, you can just catch two and, like, trade. Like, we have two switches. And they're like, Dad, you got to understand, like... It's not really capturing him if you have to trade him from your little brother. And I'm like, but like, yeah, it kind of is. That's why they put out two versions, you dummy. I'm like, it's to make you trade. They are deliberately forcing you to do it. It's a game design decision. Dad, listen. (laughs) We're just going to have to buy two copies of Sword and then a copy of Shield. And I'm like... I'm not buying two copies of Pokemon Sword. You're out of your damn mind. But the fact that they've already locked into that idea is why the the marketing of this is so goddamn genius. Pokemon doesn't need loot boxes. Pokemon is the friggin' loot box. Yeah. You know? You're right. You're right. (laughs) I mean, there's no way to argue that. It's absolutely true. And here's the thing, right? So, like, I said that. Like, oh, you know, I repeated him, and I'm like, he's like, I buy two copies of Sword. And one of S.H.I.E.L.D. And um, somebody listening to this was like, I mean, but he's got a point, bro. Like, someone is cool with that idea. Yeah. Someone is cool with it. Um, I'm not going to do that. Um, but somebody is is 100% down. Um, we, we bought six copies between Sun and Moon and Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. We bought six copies of those games into this house. Two for the two for the boys, one for me, one for my wife, and then the two ultras, one for each kid. Like, I, I mean, and and that was not even kind of unreasonable. Like, my wife was like, "Yeah, this is what we should do," because like I kind of want to play it. So like, but and there's only one save file, so you can get it for me, and then you can get some for yourself. And I mean, we didn't even think twice. It wasn't even. Uh, it, it, I mean, we, it was obviously spread out over time, but it was, if they had told us, you know, somehow we had to have, you know, what we, we would have just bought, we probably would have bought four copies. Right. No family can properly play this without four copies, just in case. I mean, I mean, yeah, it, we, we bought another switch. I mean, we originally, we only had one and then, uh, Pokemon let's go Pikachu and let's go Eevee came out and I just, the discussion about before the game hadn't come out yet, just the discussion of how we would trade it. I looked at my wife and I was like, we got to get another one. Like we can't. And then, and I was like, and just imagine the hell that our house will be for uh, when animal crossing comes out. Like, I think we're going to have to get another one for that. So, and so anyway, I digress, you know, the, that cart, man, that red Pokemon cart that was just constantly tore to hell, that should have told me that I should find that I should have bought one of everything that popped onto that. Yeah. And it was the it is I don't have many regrets, <laughs> but that is one thing that I really wish I did. Um, because you know, like some of that stuff would have value or at the very least it would be super cool to show share with my kids and be like listen i remember back when there were only you know when there were like less than 200 of these things right and that and that was when it was and i won't say i mean like you said it's doing better than it ever did um i think now but that was like when it was at its peak of just everywhere 
You know what I mean? Because because we were we were in a physical store that sold it, so you heard about it all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, I don't have the numbers. It might not be, but like, no, I think it's doing better than it ever did. I I, I agree. I, that's my feeling, and I think the difference is back then it was like a movement, right? It was like it was a thing, and it was a show, whatever. But now it's just like part of the world. Like the brand is just pervasive. Everybody knows who Pikachu is. Everybody does. Well, and they found they found a way to get casual gamers into something that, even though it's a casual game, had very hardcore fans. And they found a way to like get people to like with branding just kind of go, Yeah, I'll try this. Yeah. Like how many how many copies of Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee sold just because people played Pokemon Go and had a switch? I would bet you know? a fair number. Obviously, we don't have exact data. But uh, it's just it's it's insane, right? Like how it should be it should be so excessive that it saturated itself out. Mm-hmm. Like it should have gone the way of Blockbuster, you know, for example. But it seems to have stuck around. Well, but here's the difference: Blockbuster made some pretty deci- poor business decisions. Made some poor choices. Um, I mean, they could have bought Netflix. And they and they opted not to, and so they made a few. They did not adapt to the times, and suffered for it. Whereas Pokemon a hundred percent has adapted to the times, right? Um, you know, like they are now. Admittedly, slowly have they adapted, but they have, right? Like now they have mobile games that are, you know, actually good and actually making money. They like changed the world for an entire summer with Pokemon Go. Yes, they did. Um, so that's the difference is like they they oversaturated. I think GameStop is another salient example. Yeah. They went crazy and they expanded as a result of their success. But rather than making smart decisions like Pokemon did and like Magic the Gathering has and like Dungeons and Dragons has, you know, thinking about three gaming properties that have been around for freaking ever and are ex- enjoying um, you know, record popularity, yeah. you know, they've adapted and they made changes and they figured stuff out and they've kind of weathered the storm. Also, you know, they're, you know, at least for the, the Dungeons and Dragons, which is the coast, they're owned by Hasbro. So it's not like they're, it's not like they don't have financial backing behind them. Right. But you still uh, get to sell product and they you are. Do. <laughs> you do. Yeah. They're still, exactly. Um, they're owned by a toy company who is very good at selling good things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to watch it. it. It has been crazy to watch it grow. It was cool to be there in the beginning. Um, but you know, I, I mean, it, so yeah, no, I, I, I could go on for hours just talking about the, the wacky Pokemon stuff. So yeah, no, that, no. And, and again, I think that's, that's cool. Cause you know, like we had talked about Blockbuster and GameStop were kind of ground zero for that, you know, and, and that it was a cool thing to be a part of because it was kind of like you said, it was a movement, but it was happening in the background. You know, yep. it even even at like a GameStop, like Pokemon wasn't the hardcore thing that everybody was coming in to get. It was just kind of there. Yep. And you know what I mean? That was and, driving and, the conversation. I mean, those games are going to be the biggest are probably going to be some of the biggest games of the year, if not the biggest. Right. And it it just amazes me that, like, it never was off people's radar, but it wasn't, like, everybody's number one. 
Yeah. You know, it was just something like, oh, I also play Pokemon. You know, that's what I heard from a lot of people. Like, oh, yeah, I got the new Zelda game that came out. Oh, and I also play Pokemon a lot. You know, it was the thing I used to always hear. And like, so it, I wouldn't say that it's, you know, a second fiddle to anything, but it's, it's just always been successful, but yeah. kind of like a sleeper successful until, until um, the, the more recent time where it's like everybody is like freakishly about it. You know, and, and I mean that in kind of like the same way, like Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, right? You don't hear those advertised all the time. It's like you got to be in the right room with the right group of people, and then it's like the hot button topic of the room, yeah. you know. And I and I like that that whole culture has bred, like you know, the culture could have died off with the stores, like the Game Stops, the yeah. Blockbusters, the basements of comic shops that you'd go in to do this kind of stuff. But instead, now we have entire conventions. Like I stood in line at PAX. Yeah. And I think I told you this when we were on your podcast and looked around and just said, God, when I was like 18 years old, this would be like, you know, 10 people in your high school that had to meet in a room after school because you were afraid of getting beaten up. And now we're in line with the jocks that are like the esports guys, you know, and this and everybody's there and everybody's psyched to be there for the same crap. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I and I and I love that. And I. It, it's kind of a shame the old guard, like the blockbusters and things, had to drop away to make room for it. But I'm glad the fans stuck around and branched out, and it became more accepted. I guess yeah. is the word. Um, yeah. But you know, po- Pokemon is a cool is a cool place to go. But what else? What else do you remember? You know, since we're sticking in the game land of like other big releases and things that were just huge and kind of centered in the blockbuster. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you talk about Metal Gear Solid. Oh, I yeah. Think that, I mean, those games were big. I mean, I remember when, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, kids, you know, fighting to try and get those copies um, to be able to bring them home. Um, but, you know, I think the thing that I, I the, the thing that really strike that, that really strikes me is when we first got the PS2s in. Yeah. And, and not just the debacle that was renting them out, because that was obviously a mess with the crazy deposits and all that stuff. But <laughs> the um, just seeing the games come in and, you know, like re- like looking at those games and being like, wow, because <laughs> um, it was I mean, it was revolutionary. I mean, you remember, I mean, going from PS1 to PS2 was life changing. Um, you know, it's rudimentary now. Right. Like we look back at it and we're like, Phew. PS2. Well, my, that, my, but... my brother did a list of the uh, greatest consoles of all time. And my brother's a Nintendo guy through and through. When I got my first PS1, he, he nearly kicked me out of the house. You know, it was like, no, you don't no, you don't do this. And I'm like, I have to play Final Fantasy VII. You, you, there's nothing. I need it. I have to have it. And that's why I got a <laughs> PS1. And he named PS2 the greatest console of all time. And it, it kind of blew me and his fans away. But it's 100% true. It was revolutionary. The games were revolutionary. They weren't making games like that for yeah. consoles. You know, it, it just, it was, a, their launch was insane. There were only like five or six games, but they were all home runs. Yeah. No, I, you know? <laughs> I mean, I would, ar- I would relish the opportunity to argue with your brother on that um, because I remember him making that list. Um, and I disagreed with that because I would argue that the Super Nintendo is the best console of all time. And, and I thought that's what he was going to name it. That's why yeah. it surprised me. It would be a, it would be a spirited debate, um, but a friendly one. 
because um, I certainly respect him, um, and I and I can definitely see the argument. Because um, the PS2, man, was so cool, and all the games coming in, and just like the logistics of like moving everything around. And I remember when it came in, and like the store manager was like moving stuff, and you know making the room and putting everything up. It was just such a big deal. Oh, the PS2 is coming, you know. Um, I man, I I mean that was a big deal for me. Um, I also, you know, there were some big. I mean, Final Fantasy IX came out while I was there, and that was big for me. Um, you know, I was just waiting and waiting to be able to get a chance to rent that. And I remember being super frustrated um, because we didn't get it ahead of time. Like, that was the thing that I was so stoked for, um, is that maybe I'd have been able to grab it early. Um, but it came the day it came out. And I remember every day calling in the morning, did the shipment come in? Is it there? Did they... You know, can you, you know, hoping that they would throw it in a box so I could rent it. Um, nothing. Oh, it was brutal. I, I loved when they started letting us pre-order games. I mean, I, I actually uh, was never, that was not something that I was allowed to, we, they didn't let us do any of that. Really? They, they, they let us do that. And, and it was a short period of time because obviously it breaks the system, right? But there was something so powerful. It was when Wind Waker came out yep. on the, on um, the GameCube. Yeah. And I remember pre-ordering that and like, it was the first time, like I didn't have to go, you know, and be the first person at GameStop, you know, to get my pre-order in because I wanted it. And we got, they'd come in and we got to take them home early. And I felt like I'm the only one I know that has Wind Waker. And that made me feel so freaking good. And uh, it was probably a little bit not quite legal and all of the other stuff, but it made me feel great. <laughs> I mean, listen, whatever. <laughs> you weren't selling it to anybody else. Um it was, and I'm sure Nintendo would have killed them if they found out. But oh yeah, um, you know how I mean, Nintendo's almost as bad as you know LucasArts, really. Like with that Yoda tape. Oh man, my god! The the lecture we got about listen, you got to make sure that when you assemble this box, you put the Yoda tape on and don't mess with it because if the tape is broken, we're gonna get fined and you're gonna get fired. And I remember like you know. I, I, I remember being super paranoid with the Yoda tape. And I also being really remember being really mad that they didn't give us extra. Cause I was like, I would have loved some of that Yoda tape. Right. Um, how cool would that Yoda tape been? But obviously you remember they gave, they really, I mean, they gave you enough and there was a little extra, but I was hoping for like a big old roll, but no. Yeah. That would have been everywhere. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that I would have absolutely loved to have hold, held on to. Um, the, I mean, a lot of my memories are less about specific games and more about just that feeling of like, okay, it's the end of my shift and I got, you know, two days before the next time I come into work and just looking to see like what I, you know, looking through the return pile and like just figuring out what random thing am I going to get? And that's how I found some of like some games that I swear by that I never would have bought or played on my own. Like I never would have played SSX, you know right. what I mean? And I ended and I, I rented that thing and Oh my God, was it so cool? And now, um, I, I just desperately want them to make an HD remaster of it. Right. Like how did, cool. Did you ever play, SSX? did you ever play the 
um, Xbox 360 one they made about four or five years ago? They did make – yeah, I played the new one. I didn't play it on 360. I played it on PS3. I rented it on – Yeah, uh, I, I on, dug uh, that. Gamefly. Man, it's it was not, so good. It's not quite that – I've never liked the formula that they moved to after Tricky. I, I do I do love the idea of a fully alive mountain and you can drop down on any part of it and they stuck with that. But I loved like the SSX and SSX Tricky that it was a melding between – a racing game and an extreme sports game. Yeah. It was just so friggin' fast. And yeah. I know like, I know games have gone, you know, they've gone the 60 frame per second and all that, but I've never played a game that felt as fast as SSX. It just blew yeah. like your reaction time and the controls were so damn tight and perfect. Yeah. And it was just amazing. Yeah. And I never, I would have absolutely walked by that in a store. You told me I had 50 bucks and I could go buy anything. I would have bought some random obscure JRPG and I never would have bought like a sports action game. You know what I mean? And the same thing with like, um, you know, it, it, that's a big one. I mean, obviously there were some misses, right? Like I rented the bouncer, you know, but like ah, the bouncer, but here's the thing though. Like I rented it. And it was free. So, like, it didn't really hurt me. Um, I don't know about you, but I had a serious uh, late fee problem. Mm, me too. Um, where it was like I would get my my five free rentals and then I would invariably turn them in late. And then – but before I would return them, I would rent five more. <laughs> and then I would be pushing right up against, you know, paying my late fees, like, at the last possible day. And it would be like – you know, and if it was mostly video games, oh yeah, it's those were more expensive. Seven, eight twenty-five, eight fifty. Yeah, they got crazy. It got. It was. Oh my god! And people would be. And I remember. You know, I was a store. I was an assistant manager, so I had to get in the trenches fighting about late fees. And they'd be like, "Well, what do you know? You don't have those." And then I remember, because I was notorious for it. Um, I remember the one of the CSRs who was an older lady somebody was yelling at me saying that i never pay late fees so what do i know how frustrating it is and the the csr was just stopped what she was doing and it was like no you don't understand this dude pays like every paycheck he pays like 40 dollars in late fees <laughs> i don't know how he does it like it's it must be because he's not married <laughs> uh... implying that my wife would kill me and you know what my wife would absolutely have killed me if i did all that um <laughs> Um, if I, you know, had late fees like that. Um, but th I mean, that was that power of being able to, you know, find a game and like, just really just, you know, take a chance because what, what, what could it hurt? You know, that's how I ended up playing shadow of destiny. Okay. Remember that PS2 game? Uh, I know the name. I have no idea what it was I, about. Yeah. So, so this one. It was made by the people that made Silent Hill, the, okay. the, the original ones. Okay. And it was the same production company, same writer. But it, you know, it's a game that I would have glanced by because there's no action. It's, it's literally like as close to a point and click strategy game as PS2 games. Like it's one step ab above being like a Monkey Island game, you know, because there's just like nothing really happening. It's all just story driven. But the idea of Shadow of Destiny is that kind of a mist thing going on where you kept playing through bits in the same town, but over different time periods. Okay. And, and the idea of the game 
is you're a guy, you're walking down the street, the game just jumps you and you start playing, and you're murdered. And then this, like, homunculus guy shows up and goes, hey, I have the power to bring you back to life. Um, You're going to keep being brought back to life, and you have to look around and solve your murder. So it's kind of like Happy Death Day, you know, things like that. And the game is just... It's so incredibly well written, and I bet you if I went back and played it now, it would just be a complete bore, or it would just be too clunky. But it was something. It was that early PS2 where it just looked because there wasn't a ton of action. The detail of the game was just so like through the roof, like just the detail oh, yeah. of the town and the detail of the stuff. And I was just completely, you know, it had like seven different endings. Hey, you found so it. So I just so I well, I looked it up. I absolutely okay. So. I remember this game being on the shelf. Yeah, that's how I rented it. I and I it. walked by it, and I don't know what it, I don't know why I never. This absolutely looks like the kind of game that I would have rented at that time. That one um, was a big one. Ico was another big one. Um, yeah. Ico, I just bought. Yeah, I, I I rent I rented it, played it for five minutes, and returned it and bought it. I was just like, oh my god! <laughs> like as soon as I started yeah. playing. Same. I mean, I bought it. Um, Based on like a preview from no, you know what? No, I bought it because I saw it at uh, Blockbuster. We only got one copy of it, yep. And I didn't get to rent it because I think that was one of the ones that we only got one copy, copy and it got busted. Um, uh, problem we had if we only got one copy of a thing, it was toast, it would come back scratch. That was just like our that was our our curse. Um, and that was one of those ones. I mean, who sends more than one copy of Ico? But they sent it, and it was such a mess. Um, but I just bought it. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Um, I needed to play it. Um, but, yeah, I remember seeing the Shadows of Destiny game, um, and I walked by it every day, right? You know, you're putting re- you're putting returns away. Every day I remember it. And, um, yeah, I just never... I never picked it up. I'm glad someone enjoyed it. I'm glad that it made you happy. Oh, it's fantastic, um, dude. Um, what about so? What did you think of inventory? Because inventory was my favorite thing on earth. I so, love so same here. So my my bouts with inventory were interesting because when I started, I was 17, so I technically couldn't work past um, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, and that was a weird thing for Blockbuster because they were open till midnight. And so I would leave, I would clock out at 10 PM and go home and, you know, do whatever and then come back at midnight and they'd pay me cash to help work inventory when I was 17. So I come back into the store and it was an absolute blast. We'd put on a movie. Everyone knew the lines to. So we'd put on like clerks or, Oh brother, where art thou? Or, um, uh, Caddyshack, or you know, just some, and we'd all just be blurting the lines back and forth, and it was it was just such a fun time. It would it would go on for like three or four hours longer than it needed to, and it was just a blast. Um, I loved it. Um, I have, I mean, very similar experiences. I, I started after I was eighteen, so I was able to work the the ridiculous hours, but um. Our, our, so I had two store managers while I was there. First was Amberly, who hired me, who was kind of a a tight ass girl from Rocky Hill, Connecticut. So she was a little, you know, little stuff, little stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And then, so she left to go get a quote unquote real job. 
She ended up moving out to San Diego or something. Um, but then we got this guy, Chris, who was – man, he was a piece of work. Um, <laughs> like, absolutely, like, the definition of a dude that probably has some skeletons in his closet from the late 90s, early aughts. Um, and he was just so vulgar. And, oh. um, and she said some stuff that you just should not – you can't say. Um, and his favorite thing was whenever inventory started, um, the first 15 or 20 minutes would, because, you know, you always get tapes returned to you that were from the wrong store. And a lot of times you had no idea what the tape was. It's like the stickers had been removed. So he would (laughs) pick one of the random tapes and watch like 15, 20 minutes of it, no matter what it was. Oh, and you, so he would put it in the and it would show on all the TVs. And he absolutely grabbed um, the like my second inventory with him. He grabbed the tape, and it was an adult film. And he just and I kept trying to be like and you know because there were women that were on the you know like yep. And so it'd be different if it was a bunch of like 18, 20 year old dudes. But, like, right. there were women who were there, and I, like, kept trying to turn it off, and he just wouldn't do it. Um, and so there was this whole, you know. and But there were times where it was, like, nature documentaries or, like, family home movies. It, I don't know why you would turn your home movies to us, but whatever. Um, oh, yeah, we got, we got some fairly explicit home movies returned to us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's nuts. I mean – we had books left brought to us sometimes. Um, that was the that was my favorite. Um, that was some very confused people. You hear the thunk in the return box, and you go to open it, and it's it's a it's a book. Um, but you know, we call the library all the same. Um, you know, I remember <laughs> making those calls. Hey, it's a blockbuster in Bristol. Um, somebody returned your book to us. Um, could you tell us who it is, and I'll call them. You know, like. But the inventory thing, there was just something about, like, the stupid camaraderie of just, like, a group of people just suffering through crazy long hours, like, knowing you're going to see the sunrise. Yep. Because it, it, you never got out of there early. Um, no, never. And the, you know, I was fortunate, being that I am tall, that they always just put me on the new release wall. Um, which meant that I got to just, you know, speed demon through it. Then you um, get those old favorites tapes with the barcodes that didn't print uh, right. Oh, I was for, so fortunately, well, not, so our store manager insisted on going through the older stuff, um, because there was always stuff wrong with it. So he didn't want to, so they, they wanted me to just be tall and fast and do the outside wall. Um, and they would put one guy on one end, another guy on the other, and we would yep. always be just racing to see who got to the end. Yep. Um, and, you know, it was a point of pride that I would try and get more than halfway done before we would meet. Um, you know, and it's like we had a pizza hut that was, like, right next door, so, the you know, we'd order, like, way too much pizza. And it was – that has instilled in me the – the love for like the stupid times at work when like you're supposed to hate it where it's like, you know, working in a call center in, you know, on the first day of the year where you're supposed to hate it. And I'm like, no, this is, this is crazy and stupid. And and this is when I just love it. 
or, you know, just like, you know, Friday or Saturday night at a blockbuster. It's just absolutely crazy. And you got lines out to the back of the store. Those were my favorite times because it was just so crazy. No, right. And you, you make a good point because I, I found that, like, when, when I was a resident advisor in college, everyone would dread, you know, move in, move out day. Because that's, like, when, like, you're, like, at, like, the top of your hours you have to work. Yeah. And I remember, like, I don't know why, but there was, like, a comfort to it because because of those inventories. You know, it's like, no, I like this. We're all a little bit stressed out, but we know everybody's stressed out, and we're just here helping each other. And, yeah, like you said, you order weird food, and you, you know, um, have weird conversations and share stories. Um, did you guys ever go out to eat after inventory? Um, no, only because uh, it was always breakfast time and I always just wanted to go to bed. Yeah. Um, they, we had a, we had a Denny's. I was just like, I'm out. We had a Denny's that knew us oh. and had like a section like for us <laughs> that okay. we'd go. I think if we were that close to a Denny's or something, we probably would have done that. I think for us, like his, just the location of the store, there wasn't anything like convenient. Like we could have gone to like McDonald's or whatever, but like that's, yeah, that, that's not but that's just not that. fun. Um, but really, that was when it was just like, no, I, I want to just go home. <laughs> um, you know, and they'd release us when the sun was out and or when the sun was just coming up and I would just limp home Ugh. and just crash in bed. But like those, you know, the last couple hours of inventory always sucked, right? Especially when you finished scanning everything and they had to run the numbers to see what was missing and then you had to go find it can, like can somebody please go and find um you know midnight in the garden of good and evil oh yeah. okay someone, <laughs> um someone go rescan the green mile because it yeah. says we're missing 15 copies of it and i know we're not missing 15 copies of the green mile and so you know like in the it, so I loved the beginning part, and I loved the first 10 minutes of somebody go find me this. After the first 10 minutes, that's when it started getting tedious. Because, you know, yeah. you, can't, you can't lose those things. But, like, uh. sometimes they were legit lost. Um, it was uh, – especially if it was looking for kids' tapes. Because, you know, the kids' place, you may as well just put it in a freaking uh, kiddie pool. Yeah, they're done. Um, but man, but I still, I still remember, I can still remember like the taste of that pizza at 2am. You know what I mean? Yep. Like there's just something about just hopping in there, grabbing it, um, and just, you know, running around. Like I remember literally running and I don't run at my new job at my, at my day job anymore. But I remember when I was at Blockbuster, man, doing inventory, like jogging around the place, trying to get stuff scanned or, um, I would, when I was a store manager, if I needed to run back to the office to like get change or something, and I would sprint back. My trick would be that I would run and jump over the the dividers, you know, the the the, the final things that on the posts that yep. to make the lines be. So I would run and I would jump over them, and people would always be very afraid that I was going to trip and fall. But I'm like, but I, for some reason, I could jump. Is because I was lighter than I am now. And so I would jump <laughs> over them and people would be, some people would be very impressed. The kids would love it. And then some people would be like, you know, that's very dangerous, young man. Young man. <laughs> young man. And I'm like, what do you got to do? Um, but man, so many, so the, the stories are all coming back. I think this has to happen a lot for you when you have 
people come on where they know roughly some of like this because there are stories that I still tell all the time. Yeah, that, that, like, that's why the know. show started. Because every time I get together with people, we just this is where the conversations always go. It, it's great. Yeah, it's it's so wild. Like it was such a, I mean, it was just my you know BS job that I had in college, and you know, like it ended up being you know some really awesome summers, and then eventually I dropped out of college and was working at Blockbuster full time, and I did that for a couple of years. Blockbuster is actually how I got to my first New York Toy Fair. No way. Yeah, let me so so and this was wild going to New York Toy Fair with Blockbuster on your name tag. Right. Yo. Um so there was a guy that I used to work with. He still works in the toy business, Bob Torres. Bobby T. And so he was one of the assistant managers with me. And he desperately wanted to go to New York Toy Fair. Like and he talked to our manager, and eventually he just applied for passes under Blockbuster. That's and hilarious. Th- it was like 100% a, um, you know, like, it was like we had no official business being there. Blockbuster doesn't s- didn't send reps there. They had their own thing. Um, and so he they did the whole ask for forgiveness, not permission thing. Because there's nothing like in company policy that says you can't request to go to local shows. You know, you work at a blockbuster. Why not? So they ended up giving us three badges. And I went there. The three of us went there to the Javits Center and just walked around to New York Toy, New York Toy Fair. With, and, but having blockbuster on our name, we had so many people just freaking humping our legs. Because they were like, oh, man, you know, you know, you should... You know, Blockbuster, you guys, uh, I'm, you know, we're willing to work out like an exclusivity deal for distribution. You know, how many, like, they were trying to like really wheel and deal us. And really, we're like, guys, we're not here to buy anything. We're just here to let this toy dork look at stuff. Um, but the, and I come, and so I loved it. It was such a cool experience. Um, and then now that I go, now I go back for EFG, you know, every year I go because I go to the board game area. Um, and it didn't occur to me, like, I, it's like I had blocked it out. Like I had forgotten that I went, you know, and then I showed up the first time for work and like stood in that opening hall in the Javits Center. I mean, you, I'm sure you've been there for like New York Comic Con or something, but like when you open in, when you walk into the, the glass atrium, like that front entryway, yep. there's really, there's nothing like it, you know, it's just such a, you know, a big space. And it hit me. I was like, I have been here before. Um, and it was it just it was so wild to be able to use blockbuster credentials to get in there. That's wild. I, I wish we had tried that. <laughs> it it might have worked unless it was the same year we went, at which point we would have had to fight for it, I'm guessing. I don't know. Because the people that um uh worked in the Dallas area stores the big ones right mm-hmm. they were close to corporate got to go to like the the video store conventions oh and, yeah and i had a guy on um this show on the earlier um episodes that he said he goes you know this is going to be strange and i know it's coming out of left field but would you be interested in having someone that worked at a porn store on 
And I was like, okay. well, that's a side of the industry I know nothing about. I mean, I worked at Blockbuster. Blockbuster didn't have that. I've, you know, so it's just like. Even yeah, though sure. everyone assumed we did. Yeah. So it's like, of course, I'd love to have you on. And a tidbit he, he gave is that, you know, that's like that video store convention. They'd have a black like curtain divider down the center of the room. And one half of it would be Blockbuster and Hollywood video and everybody that had like the legit, you know, um, movie yeah. rental with like Paramount. And then the other half was the adult film section. And so he said, you know, you'd get in there and, you know, the, the folks from the Blockbuster booth would be there, but you wouldn't cross paths, you know, but you were all there together. And it's like, oh, that's that's wild. And I never thought of that. And it's like it would have been cool as a Blockbuster employee to have gone to like a video store convention. Yeah, no, I agree. You know? Well, now that I understand like how conventions work and what you can do there, I absolutely would have loved, I mean, yeah, I would have absolutely loved to have gone there. Um, I would like to go there now with my current experience to be able to kind of like soak it in because going to conventions, like it is a skill to be able yeah. to like, juice a convention for all that is worth that it's worth and to like pace yourself um and i doubt that i could have done that then but now i could go and and just soak it all in it would have been so great um you know but now you know not so much with the home not so much with the home videos um no you know, um but which is the reason why this podcast is here because we're telling tales around you know war stories around the campfire exactly it, it it's what makes it great um yeah man the i'm trying to think of some of my other you know like because we all have like our go-to stories and a lot for me a lot of them were about like people yelling at me about late fees and stuff but of course like hey you said you knew your employee number you never said what it was oh, it's 290-355-467-68 nice i was 25032-20406 and mm -hmm. um then i was 250 Six nine two eight seven seven four. That was Woburn, and then I was two five zero two six um, two eight three five two. I think when I was at Swampskit, that was a shorter time, so I don't remember. <laughs> the uh, so the the thing that was a challenge with my employee number is so it was four six seven six eight, but my zip code, like where I lived, was oh six seven eight six. Oh, and boy. for the life of me, I would always get those last two numbers back. Like, I would either put my zip code on wrong or I would enter my employee ID wrong. And so, like, especially when, like, you're tired and it's, like, 1130 at night and you're like, I just I just need this to work. Like, it was just so dumb to, to do that. Because one of the things that I did, and I did this a lot, is during college – during the summers, I just worked like a crazy person. And during winter break, I worked like a crazy person. But, like, um, what they would do is I went to school in New Britain, which is, like, 45, minute, you know, 45 minutes away from where I live. Yep. And so I would come home on the weekends. But what I would do is I would just call them and say, hey, these are the weekends that, I was, that I'm going to be home. And I would tell them, like, at the beginning of the month. And then they would just put me on the schedule for as many hours as they could fit me. And sometimes it was like a four hour shift, right? And like, I wouldn't, but sometimes they just needed me. And there were more than one occasion where I would go in at eight o'clock on Saturday and I would leave at two in the morning. Yep. I would do one of those open to closes. And so like, that's when I, the end of those shifts, 
I would get so tired that like I couldn't enter my number straight. But like, you know, I never did that as the I never closed as like the only manager. They never did right. that to me. Um, you know, but it was you know, but I, I so I was basically like a CSR, you know, even though I was a manager. Um, but man, I was so tired. I mean, as you can, you've done those shifts, you know. I mean, it's crazy. Me, me and my for... me and my store manager Scott, um, who's been on the show a couple times. Um, when I was in college and we were working in the Woburn store together, we would close open close Friday to Saturday. Yeah, we we would close on Friday, open Saturday, close Saturday night, and so what we would do is we'd have the two to ten um, overlap yeah. shifts, and then him and I would take like a two or three hour break and then come back and close Saturday. And the reasoning for it is I was his assistant store manager. And the way he looked at it was the stores get ripped apart on Friday and Saturday. Yep. So if we, if we close open, we can get out, we can just count the money and leave at like, you know, 12, 15 on, on Friday, turn around, get there early Saturday, spend the day, you know, cleaning up to get ready for Saturday night. And then Saturday night will be an easy close. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it worked really well. And him and I hung out every weekend together anyway. So we just go out to dinner. You know what I mean? And it was like, all right, this is actually kind of cool. But those shifts were terrible. Close they were open, brutal. Close. Oh, yeah. my God. It made sense tactically. But I I wish I could go back in time and tell you not to do that. Um, yeah. The same thing with me. And, you know, especially, you know, during the winter. Like the winter break, like during holidays – um, I remember, like, I used to love working Thanksgiving night, you know, yeah. like, we would finish up, everybody would leave, and I would go in, work the, you know, work from, like, 5 to midnight, um, yeah, and I would do, or 5 to 1, or whatever, whatever the show, was it 4 to 1? I can't remember, um, but my family would all leave, and my dad would be half asleep watching football, so I figured I'd just go into work and get some time and a half. Those were my favorite nights, because that's when, like, you'd see all, like, the the kids come back from college or, you know, it was, it was wild. Um, and I remember rushing into work after eating my turkey. I'd still, I'd have leftovers to microwave right. for later. We, I don't know if your store did this, but we, um, you know, the company had a, um, at least the, uh, were you in franchise stores or corporate? So it was a corporate store. Yeah. So, so the company, at least, you know, where we were, that they kind of laid the hammer down of, you know, everybody works on holidays. And so we had, you know, people that went out of town. So we would split up the day with everybody else to make sure no one got, you know, screwed. No one was stuck working, you know, an eight hour shift. So we'd work it around. It's like, oh, your family eats dinner at night. Cool. You open, you know, when you guys, so it was cool. But my mother would do a cool thing. Cause I always did the night shift on Thanksgiving, like you just said. And so she'd come in with a full Thanksgiving dinner at night for like the people on the closing shift, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I always remember that like everyone, like it made everyone so happy, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I didn't have that kind of an experiment experience, but you know, it was all hands on deck. Right. Because, I mean, it was Thanksgiving. It's it was Friday be. the next day. It was all hands on deck. You know, the world's going to be on fire. Um, and I remember, you know, we would all just roll, you know, and I would run in with my plate. I'd throw it in the, you know, we didn't have a fridge. So I just kind of <laughs> dealt with it. Um, and, you know, you just kind of worked and maybe you had a 15 minute break to throw some food in. 
Um, but just that chaos, man, it was just so fun to just be there. And I certainly didn't mind the extra cash. Yeah, it was, I, I like the idea of, you know, so many friends I knew that worked retail at more niche stores, you'd have those shifts. They'd have those shifts that were just boring. Blockbuster was never boring. Like if you, if you were there on a day shift, that was slow day of the week, you were working on getting the wall figured out and, you know, PVT pulls and field destroy pulls. There was always something interesting. It felt like a. Not a well-oiled machine's a hard way to put it because it was only as good as the people putting the time in, but mm-hmm. it was just it was electric. It was never like a bummer to go into work. You know yeah. what I mean? It was always like, oh, all right, well, you know, because it was either there was an exciting movie out that you wanted to tell people about, or there was a movie that you knew people were going to be pissed about, and you wanted to go in and see all the ridiculous stuff people would complain about, or um, or you know, you just you were on shift with someone you really liked and couldn't wait to. You know, catch up, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that's absolutely true. The way you describe it is that it was never a bummer to go in. Um, On those crazy days, you're absolutely right. It was, I mean, you know, you always, you know, you always complain because there's always room for that. But the, but it was never like, oh, man, I got to go to work. It was like, right. oh man, I gotta go. I gotta go, and you know, it's gonna be crazy, and who knows what's gonna happen? Who knows what wild story is gonna happen? Um, yeah, it was those 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 were the days, Chippa. Those were the days, man. And and there's nothing like it. There's nothing comparable. No, there really isn't. I mean, I think it's it, well. I mean, largely since retail is dying. Like, I think I would imagine that I would feel similarly like if I worked at like a Walmart on Black Friday or, you know, even Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think that yeah. might be somewhat similar, but probably not this. I mean, niche retail is dying. So you're really, you're, you're right. You're right. No, no, but you're right. It's like that would just continue for multiple days of the year like that. Cause I bet a best buy on the holiday season is probably very similar to what Blockbuster was like. But also they, I and I've talked about this with people on the show before, Blockbuster had this strange way of being a corporate entity that like to the outside world, like as a customer, you put it in that same box as a Walmart or a Best Buy where it's like, oh, you know, that's just a crappy corporate entity and, you know, they're, they're the bad guy. But as an employee, I still felt like I was working for like a mom and pop like hole in the wall video store because we still spent our time seeking out the weird stuff and the obscure games and the obscure movies and finding movies for customers and recommendations that mm-hmm. the best buys had already kind of given up on being the store of recommendations and specialty. And, you know, you got to push the big stuff and blockbuster was trying that, but I feel like, like as like a hotbed, like the individual stores were still being run like it was more of an underground thing mm-hmm. because yeah. you know, as, as my brother puts it, you know, when the early days of the internet, right. You didn't have the internet movie database and rotten tomatoes and everything to go and find out what movie was good and what movie was bad. You, just had to go, you had to go ask this nerd at blockbuster and you know, we had the video hound guide. We never cracked it. We knew all that crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but no, no person like my, bro- my brother said this at the live show. 
being able to pull out a director's name or a movie recommendation. It was like a parlor trick. You know, Bob and I would sit here on Thanksgiving with our family and, you know, they'd, they'd grill us, you know, about movies just like the customers would. And it, it made you feel like you were contributing somehow, even though at the end of the day, it was just bottom line money making. And to me, when a corporate entity can feel that way to like the employee, that that's a great thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really, I did really, um, that, that recommendation engine that we turned into, like that was definitely, but it was both, the most fun, but it was also the most stressful um, because that was back before I felt comfortable having strong opinions about things. Yeah. Um, now it would be a little easier. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, podcasting and being a critic. Like I'm way more comfortable being like, no, this thing sucks or this thing's rad. Everyone should try it. Like I'm way more comfortable now, but before I'd be like, well, if you kind of like this, then you should try it. Um, I was really shy about recommendations and really lean t- heavily towards new releases and, you know, kind of discerning the differences between some of the big stuff um, and then explaining Pokemon to parents. Um, In retrospect, I wish I had spent more time, like, in the favorites section and, like, really kind of, like, learning more about them Um, because there are a lot of classics that I never watched. Like, for example, like, I've never watched any of, like, the Godfather movies. Um, Okay. Like, and part of that is just because I was too busy playing video games. That's Um, fair. But um, yeah, because those take a, those take a remarkable amount of time. I don't know if you know. Um, that was a joke, of course you know that they take a remarkable yes. amount of time. Um, but the uh, but it's that was uh, it was like a responsibility, you know, like that was the the important part of the job. You know, part of it was like finding stuff and knowing where things are. You know, knowing your alphabet, <laughs> but then there's the other piece of like being able to be like, all right, well, did you like this thing? Well, then if you like this thing, then you should try this this other thing. Um, you know, man, that was that was that was a responsibility that we had. I'm glad that at least some of us took it seriously. Right. You know, we we had some guys in our store that went as far as to write reviews. They they'd go and watch the movies or play the games before they came out and mm-hmm. leave like little review cards for people. So when they weren't there, you could be like, "There's Tim's review," mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because people came in looking for this guy. Like we we want to talk to him about it. Do you so you know not having delved too much into the favorite section and stuff? Do you remember anything fairly obscure, like a one off or a one copy or just something that like really struck out as this is so cool that my blockbuster has this? Because you know a lot of the favorite inventory would come from like you know blockbuster would buy out you know, old chain stores and just keep their inventory. You know what I mean? So you end up getting some obscure thing that maybe Blockbuster wouldn't normally carry. Do you remember anything like that? I don't. What um, about in, as far as the games are concerned? Um, man, I'm trying to think of some of the stuff that just hung out for way longer than it should have. Um, cause I'm sure that's probably some of it. Um, I will admit I'm drawing a bit of a blank. On That's like okay. The, it's just the hidden it's gems. It's like, for instance, my our store had the Wicker Man, the original okay. one, um, not the terrible Nicolas Cage remake, and that was a really hard movie to find. Is you know a British made, um, like low budget, like exploitation horror flick, and so mm-hmm. that was something that like 
we felt, you know, it was important to get people to see this damn thing, you know? And so that was just one that sticks out in my mind, um, is one that we just push on people hard. No, you know, I, 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 I think I am sure that we had weird stuff like that. Like if you were able to, you know, quantum leap into my brain and go back <laughs> to when I was working there, you would have been like, oh, there's this movie that this is super weird. I wonder why this was there. Um, you know, I wonder what its story was, you know. Right. Um, but I don't – the I, – I, I, I truthfully, um, I don't remember them myself. I will tell you that the movie that stuck with me the most um, that I watched that I probably would not have watched um, is um, Boondock Saints. There you go. That was going to so, be the next one I mentioned. So there is like that movie, like there was a poster like on the wall and like, I don't like, you know, like I'm a, you know, I would, you know, I'm a superhero guy. Right. Like, so I, the, the, um, so like crime thrillers or even just goofy action movies like that one, um, never really speak to me, but, it was, you know, the poster was on the wall and Bobby T was like, Steve, you've got to see Boondock Saints. And I went and I was like, fine, you know, because whatever is free What's what's the downside? There really wasn't any. And I brought the tape home and I watched it and I was enthralled. I immediately rewound it and watched it again. That was um, a blockbuster exclusive. Did you know that? I, I did. Well, I. I forgot until you reminded me. Um, and uh, But now that's why I had the big poster on the wall. Um, that thing, I evangelized that movie in that store. Because I remember, I distinctly remember a lot of people being like, what is this? Why, you know, and I'm like, listen, guys, it's, you know, there's some comedy in it, but it's mostly just like a street level action movie. And I, man, I would have sent anybody home with that except a little kid. Yeah, exactly. Um, and to this day, I still absolutely love that movie so much. Another one that, again, I probably would have skipped if it wasn't for the fact that it was like a whole bay was The 13th Warrior. Yeah. Which is objectively bad. Yeah, but it's another one. I watched it because of Blockbuster, and I dug the hell out of it. It's not good, but I loved it. Oh, man, it's terrible. It's like terrible, because Antonio Banderas is definitely not a Muslim. <laughs> and, like, I was like, is that, what kind of washing is this? Is Banderas washing? But, like, the fact that he learned their language by listening to them, like, that that piece, the way, the scene where they, like, have him learning the language um, is ridiculous, but I really did like the way they did it. I thought that was kind of well edited and you know what they had to do it eventually. Like they had to have him learn their language. So like the fact that he had like a training montage of them calling his mom names was like, all right, you know, um, and whenever he delivered that line, you know, at least I know who my father is. You pig eating <laughs> son of a whore. Like that line, like the way he says it, in the least Muslim accent I have ever heard, because, you know, Antonio Banderas. Um, man, like, I... Not, not the king of subtle um, voice acting. That no, gentleman. he's definitely not, not... No, no, and you know what? I don't care. At the time, I really didn't care. 
you know, like now I'm a little bit more sensitive to it because it's, you know, 2019, but like, man, that movie was just so stupid, <laughs> but it was stupid in all sorts of good ways. Like the, um, I, and it, I, it still sticks to me. And that scene with the bowl when they're passing yep. around, oh my God, still turns my stomach. Whoa. My, uh, my big, my, you know, you mentioned Boondock Saints, my big blockbuster, like random small movies that came out were, were Boondock Saints, Donnie Darko, which okay. I rented on. A, I like the cover box that. for this and session nine. I remember those movies existing. I did not watch them, but so, I remember them being very pushed by the movie buffs that so were surrounding so, me. Do you know what session nine was? I, I honestly had no idea. I just knew so, that people loved it. It's worth, it's worth seeking out, especially being, you know, Connecticut is new England. As far as I'm concerned, you know what I mean? Um, uh, so Danvers state mental hospital, just about six years ago, got renovated into apartments. And before that, it was, um, or it might have even been more, it might have been like 15 years ago now with the mm-hmm. way that my brain's working. But anywho, it was an abandoned old gothic mental hospital. It's actually the one that um, H.P. Lovecraft is credited as basing Arkham off of, which I think is really cool. Um, so... This was a very well-known building. They did, you know, it's it's the full gamut, you know, of like creepy experimentation being done on the people that were there. They closed it and let them out, you know, into like the regular world, you know, when the government finally kicked in. And so Danvers has always been full of, you know, weird stories about what went down there. And um, it's actually in when they built it, it wasn't Danvers, it was Salem. So that's even more interesting, the whole Salem thing going on. But they they staged this horror flick and filmed it there. And the idea of this horror flick was that a team, a hazmat team was being brought in to clear the place out, to get it ready to be, you know, torn down and turned into apartments, which was about to be happening in real life. And Mm -hmm. weird stuff starts happening to them while they're in there. And it's, it was just such a cool movie. And to like, you know, that's like the thing, like in high school, people used to go, you know, break in and like take photos inside it. You know, it's like the local like story place, the haunted place. And to see a movie filmed there that got like a big wide release um, was really cool. The the guy who made the movie, the machinist, that Christian Bale movie Mm -hmm. where he lost all the weight. This was his, one of his big first movies. And it is just so cool. Um, those were my three big ones while I was there that I remember. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think if there were any others that were like that caught me off guard. I mean, I, obviously, that's when I was that discovered like a bunch of really stupid anime. Yep. Um, you know, like Eighth Man After, and like yep. you know some of the really just stupid, just just terrible things. Um, what's stupid about it is like I. You know, after all that, I never, you know, they had Ninja Scroll there forever, and I never took that home. Which amazes me that Blockbuster had Ninja Scroll. Yeah. Because Ninja Scroll is an explicit, I love Ninja Scroll, but that is is far from a tame movie. (laughs) Yeah, and it was sitting there, and I always meant to bring it home, but I never did, you know, because I I use a lot of my rentals on um, either video games or obviously I was, I, I delivered rent, uh, many rentals to my, uh, movie loving mother. Um, as you, you know, as one does, you live at home rent free, you bring home movies for mom. Um, but the, 
you know, I mean, I dealt with some of those and, you know, over time, I, I mean, I ended up watching stuff just because you had to, you know, I remember stuff, you know, forcing myself through the green mile. Yep. Um, I mean, it was cool looking, you know, like I liked the cinematography, but it was boring. <laughs> but and that's, that's a big long now, movie. Actually. Yeah. Um, and man, we're keeping the tapes and the rubber, have keep the rubber bands and stuff was terrible. Okay. How about this for a movie that is better than it had any right to be? Um, Instinct. Oh, yeah. With Cuba Gooding Jr. Yep. and Anthony Hopkins. Yep. Now, that one, um, for the longest time, was like my favorite movie of all time. Um, I just loved like some of the different scenes and how everything worked. And like when he went outside into the rain, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is, a, is brilliant. They were both fantastic in that. And that was Cuba Gooding Jr. at his prime, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, And it was so good. And the poster, I actually took the poster home um, and had it until a few years ago, actually. um, Because that was, you know, you know, the big thing was who got to put their name on the poster when it got put up in in lights. And that was one I didn't have to fight too hard for because nobody else wanted it. And I was like, forget all you people. Um, This thing's amazing. Um, the, um, man, that, that movie, I watched that so many times and I tried to watch it with my wife when, at, you know, at, at one point she was like, I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever lady, whatever. Oh man. So I, I love doing this. Um, this is great, dude. Um, it's, it's getting late. It Um, is. So I, I, and again, I think we've got enough stories. I think we could do this a second time. Well, I mean, I think um, we're going to have to. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so I was going to say, I was going to use this as the uh, icebreaker, but we apparently didn't need one because we just get along real well. But let's play my movie game real quick. Um, okay, let me get the which, picture. Um, yes, are you, have you ever heard me play this game before? I have not. Okay, so that, that makes it easy. I can explain it to you. So have you played Apples to Apples or Cards Against Humanity I have, before? I have played Apples to Apples, yes. Cool. It's, it's, it's the Apples to Apples rules. So the idea is um, we pull the name of a movie, or I pull the name of a movie, mm-hmm. and you have a whole bunch of movie quotes. Yep. And you have to throw a quote out that um, would be funny or interesting or silly or just ironic if it went with that movie, but it can't be a quote from that movie. Okay. And so then you and I vote on them and we laugh and everybody has a good time. Um, and I, because you are the engaged family gaming guy, um, I wanted to make sure I, I made sure I kept the quotes like PG, PG 13, cause there's some nasty ones in here that okay. I, uh, yeah. And I, and I, I just wanted, notice. and I wanted to make sure I did, I did that for you. Um, cause you know, I'm, I want to make sure your fans hear this podcast too. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fair. Um, and so, so, uh, um, if you understand the rules, Oh, and I'll give you examples um, just for fun. Um, if someone asks if you're a god, you say yes from Ghostbusters. You throw that on the Passion of the Christ, right? Yeah. Um, I think we're going to need a bigger boat, Titanic. You yeah. know, <laughs> the things like that. So that's that, okay. that's the word. So our first movie is Clerks. Okay. Which I imagine you've seen or at least are aware. I have definitely work, seen. Yeah, okay. You I've worked for a blockbuster. Seen, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I worked for a blockbuster. I've definitely seen. I mean, I've, seen, I, I've seen the essentials. Um, yes. 
Um, although uh, I prefer Clerks the Animated Series to Clerks. Well, then you're going to love the quote I'm about to come up with. Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I was about to say, this will only be funny if you've seen the Clerks animated series. The Clerks <laughs> animated series is genius. Okay. It, was, it was so good, but I'll let you throw the first quote. So Okay. All right. I'm, I have to go through these. Hold no, on. that's okay. I will, I will just blab yeah. on. Um, yeah. yeah, vamp while I look up. Um, so this is Chippa. You're listening to Talkbuster Radio. K Babble FM. Okay, here we go. All right. <laughs> so, um, so the movie is Clerks. Yes. And I am gonna say, <laughs> um, some of these are really good. Um, but so I'm going to say, uh, one-stop shopping, everything you need, right at your fingertips. <laughs> that's perfect dawn of the dead <laughs> yeah okay this is great so tell me if this rings a bell from the clerks animated series yep. is it safe <laughs> do you remember that one yeah oh man Marath- marathon man i love that is it safe sure it's safe it puts the lotion on its skin it puts it in the basket dude be quiet is it safe <laughs> yeah, it's safe. The, the guys at the hospital, don't worry. Remember what we told you. It's safe. Everything's safe. And then Jay and Bob are out there lighting off M80s in front of the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my jumps. God. God, that was so good. That show. Um, I think I still this, have the DVDs. Look um, at this desk. I got it from Ikea. I made it myself. I have all these spare parts left over. <laughs> Alec Baldwin was genius casting in that. Um, I think Alec Baldwin is arguably genius casting in everything. I agree. Leonardo, Leonardo. Yeah. Oh, man. He exchanged, he exchanged the town of New Jersey with the Canadians in exchange for the debilitating polio virus. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to watch that show now. The Temple of Doom episode is one of the oh. best things that they did. Oh, God. Now you're making me want to go watch it. I'm going to have to go find the DVDs or buy them again. It's not like they're hard to find. No, yeah, I've, I I bought those at Blockbuster. My copy of Jane, of Jane Bob Strike Back in the Clerks animated series was a PVT. <laughs> I mean, you you darn right, man. That's it. the uh, that that was problematic because man, I had so many Blu-rays that I never even took out of the or not Blu-rays DVDs that I never even took off out of the plastic. All right. So, so next, next, so I think you took that one. I think your quote's perfect, even though I I think I tripped into mine because. Yeah. I happen to have one that mentioned shopping. Right. All right. So, so the next is Army of Darkness, the Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell classic. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Oh, well, I mean, I'm going to go with uh, we don't need a stretcher in there. We need a mop. A mop. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> um, oh, man. I don't have a good one. This is where you just see. I mean, this is the the strategy is you just put out one that you don't think will ever apply to anything. Yep. And, and pain, pain yeah. don't hurt. Or no darkness. That I mean, that one's not bad. Wait. It, all right. Yeah. Okay. That's from Roadhouse. All right. Then I still I still think I you think took that one. 
You gave me a. I mean, because I know you drew my hand for me, but I, but I drew it blind. I, I just, I just, anytime I saw one that had, you know, something really explicit, I just drew a new one. That's all. Um, the, I mean, the, remarkably, uh, the 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 cards were in my favor. So I got. There's a, a lot good of good quotes in this game, so we'll, we'll go for a third. Yep. Chitty chitty bang bang. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to go with this one because it's actually relevant because that movie is really about drugs. They just didn't say it. And I'm going to yes, say is, that is- it looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. You know, it's funny. Air- it's funny because I was going in the exact same direction. We can't stop here. This is bat country. You're in Loathing <laughs> in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that chitty chitty bang bang. Can we just say here's what I want to know that that is a movie that is uh, that is. Right for a remake. I can't believe they haven't remade it three times. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, because, well, the, and Herbie is another one, because I think I like cars that come to life. Like, Herbie seems like one. I mean, I know they did it with, what's your face? Lin- Lindsay Lohan. They, they did need, one with they need to Lohan, erase that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, now they've figured out how to make good ones. You know, it just makes sense. Like, do a new Herbie with, like, Zendaya or something. Oh, I'd watch the hell out of that. She rocks. Right? No, I, I just think that. There was just always something off about Lindsay Lohan, but like Zendaya gets all the right, all the same like vibe, right? Like she's young and she's cute and she's sarcastic, but she doesn't like just sound. She doesn't like have train wreck written all over her face. Yes, yes, she seems she seems to have escaped the train wreck, um, the train yeah. wreck gene. And chitty chitty bang bang, like it's so stupid, but like. With CGI and like all the stuff we can do with practical effects that we know they can do because we've watched Star Wars and all this stuff. Like, come on, let's just do it. Anyway. No, that's 100%. So I, I hope you enjoyed that. I really like that game. I actually played it at the live show with the whole crowd and people loved it. I, okay. So as someone who is a board game critic, yes, I am not a huge fan of the apples to apples, cards against humanity genre in general, I struggle with. However, I think as that genre goes, I think this has uh, a lot of promise because movie buffs are movie buffs and movie buffs love to do their movie buff things. And I can only imagine um, you (laughs) like, I, I don't think I think my head would explode like if I was sitting there with you and your brother playing this game because you guys know so much like the obscure references like I'm sure when you were making some of these quotes and pick, you know picking some of them out like the knowledge flowed through you. Oh yeah, uh, and it's it. I actually um I've I've crowdsourced it so it's a it's a living Google Doc that I keep sharing with people that I know and just keep going, just, just add things to it, man. Cause I want to have expansions for it. Like if it, cause I want to get it, I want to get it up to about 500 quotes to like, make like the, it's at 300 right now to make the, um, like pitch version. I mean, can I, can I make a suggestion for one? Um, I think you need to put in, I knew you had potential lad (gasps) from transformers, the movie. I can't believe I don't have that. Because I, I knew you had potential. Is that, li- that line is my favorite line from that whole movie. Oh, my God. That's a perfect one. Also, very useful. I think that that's one of those ones that is 
applicable in a broad number of you could use that in a lot of movies i think i think that might be a decent pairing so you got to remember to uh i will facebook message you now yes please do please do but that is my uh, that is officially my suggestion um i knew and you know seeing it you know what you know the i mean that's oh i know exactly what as soon as you started saying it i'm like oh man i can just see it in my head like ah that's perfect um and then he transforms for the fifteenth different way um, yep. in that movie because, of course, he is. Well, he's broken, so we forgive him. Um, exactly. I love Cup. Um, so <laughs> the Cup is one of my favorite Transformers. So um, th- and that line does not take away from him. So the, the the this game, since you haven't heard me play it before, it it started as me and my buddy Jim at work. Um, we go to lunch from time to time and we, we come up with movie games. Like we started by playing six degrees of Kevin Bacon at lunch and we said, Oh, we can make our own. So we have like director speed dating where you tie, you, you each get assigned a director and each person has to come up with like Mad Lib style, like script ideas. You know, you'd have like Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez or oh, no, sorry, Robert Rodriguez and Guillermo del Toro. So it's like, it's a movie about a young girl in peril. Who's also a bug. You know, yeah. and stuff like that, and just have. But um, this one stuck, um, as like with broad appeal. So I, 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 you've seen with what I sent you. I have a printed version that I'm. There's a board game cafe up the street that I was thinking of. They do like open play night, like for people that are like gonna try to kickstart something. And I'm gonna. No, bring I it definitely, there. I definitely recommend that. I mean, if you're gonna kickstart it, I mean, you have a. Fo- I mean, you have a following in an audience anyway, and this isn't the kind of game that would require like you wouldn't have to make. A- you know, a billion dollars to kickstart it. You know, Correct. it's a matter of you know the you know the printing and things like that. Yep. But the best advice to give you for somebody that's going to work on a Kickstarter is go to the go to those proto nights, like with the prototypes. Um, build a mailing list. You yep. know, like and because what you want is like let's say you go look for you know three thousand dollars or something, so you can do like a print a small run. Um, you want to get as much of that as you can in the first day. Yes. Um, because that's where all your momentum comes from. So like, just since you have it now, like get emails, get business cards, like whatever, and then just throw them into like MailChimp Yeah. and then just send the email out and, you know, and set it up so that when you go live, you can send the email out and get as many of those bodies as possible. Um, this is not an ex- it's not like you need minis and you know this is going to be a, a relatively inexpensive game 500 cards in a box is nothing. Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, if you have 500 quotes, I think th- at that point like the magic number might not be 500, like it might be 450. Right. Because you know, it's all a matter of like getting the cards from the printer um and they'll tell you like how many you can get per box at, without, you know, going, you know, without the price jumping crazy. Right. And then it's just a matter of getting an editor to cut the crappy ones. Exactly. That's, that's the part of the play test and some cool feedback that some friends have given, you know, that said, you know, Hey, you know, of course you've got a lot of pretty well-known quotes in there, but a cool thing you can add to the blue card would be, you know, like using a movie, everybody knows as an example, but Let's say someone had never heard of Star Wars. It's not going to happen, but just use that as an example. You have Star Wars A New Hope as a card, but then under it, 
a one-line synopsis and the name of four or five characters from it. Because a, people might not know Star Wars, but they know who Darth Vader is. So they can go, oh, it would be funny if Darth Vader was saying this quote I have on this yellow card. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely copywriting for the cards. And, like, you could exactly. do that. You could do that in your sleep. Um, you know, I mean, I agree with that. You know, giving the having the opportunity for the movie cards to give a little bit of background I think it just means it's less likely that somebody's going to get a dead card. Like if you exactly. gave me, you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas or whatever, like I haven't watched that movie. Um, with that said, like this movie is definitely not targeted at me and that's okay. Um, you know, like most movie buffs have seen that movie. Yeah, but so also like, I, I, like, the... I like the idea of finding a way to, you know, allow it, you know, allow the cards to have like a built-in like gimme to them or a built-in handicap to like help somebody yeah. out. I like, I like that. It means it's less likely to be a dead draw. I mean, the way you also deal with that is you just let them draw three and pick one. Exactly. And then you're, um, and they're guaranteed. Speaking of that, have you played the blockbuster game that just came out? Um, I have not. I'm good. I mean, it's just a matter of buying it and bringing it out. Um, but listen, it's quarter of one and I yeah, have we, we, five. Yep. So, um, we gotta do this again. Yeah, indeed. Let me catch up on sleep and then we'll, uh, we'll do it again. All right, man. Have a good night. Um, so thank you, Steve, for, uh, um, coming on the Talkbuster podcast. Thank you all for making it a Talkbuster night or day or whenever you're listening to this and please be kind, rewind, and I'll talk to you later, buddy. No problem, man. You take care. Thanks for having me on.